You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Victoria and Sydney to put this together. 
Um, both of you have and are paving the way for other women to follow your example in the arts. Thank you. I thought I heard some snaps and comments. And of course, the Pratt's honored to be partnered with Zora's Den and the Clifton House tonight. Um, so thank you, Sydney, Alessia, Graham, Gillian, all for being here too. Um, as you all have figured out, um, we'll hear tonight from writers touched by Lucille Clifton. Um, just a little bit of background for anyone that doesn't know. Um, in 1979 to 1985, she was the Poet Laureate of Maryland. Um, and a finalist twice for the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Yes. <laughs> We're all here because we feel something in our hearts with her work, and I hope you take that feeling with you every day and celebrate each other as often as she did for so many. Um, so I just wanted to read a short poem, also excerpted in Blessing the Boats, um, and I love the humor in her work as well, so it's a quick, somewhat funny poem. Um, why some people be mad at me sometimes? <laughs> they ask me to remember, but they want me to remember their memories, and I keep on remembering mine. <laughs> so after everyone reads, we'll, have some, we'll also have some time for an open mic, which some people have signed up for. Um, and before we start with all everyone sharing um, what they've brought, we have some special uh, images and video for you.
So, can you just close it and reopen it? I'm not a tech person. So in in the spirit of celebrating, please welcome Abdul Ali. Gold to red and blue. 
too. Subway cars roar overhead. Boulders hold this urban pride rock in the air. Block letters spray painted on bricks. It's summer, summertime. Fire hydrants will empty on women with wine bottle shapes wearing neon spaghetti stripes. The night hums with cicadas and bats and streetwalkers. It is true that on every corner lives a superhero, unafraid of bullets. Three, storefront churches on every corner, churches chicken in the way of the cross, holy redeemer, soul rescue workers, soul food dinners after service. We walk uptown like we own it. Boomboxes, our warcraft, it's tricky, our theme song. Islam brothers selling final call newspapers, bean pies, two for five. Four. When was the last time you ate at home? Anything familiar? Was the soul food joint still standing on Rockaway? What about Baisley Park, where ch school children walked across the frozen lake, falling inside a mirror, becoming black icicles? Was your old house still standing? Who yanked out the pear tree? Did anyone remember the block before they built a house in the lot, before English reversed into a dozen curry-stained tongues? Did anyone remember your name? Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you something. I got bad news, so just be patient with me for a minute. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll just do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll just do this. So hello, my name is uh, Deirdre. You can probably hear me because I can hear me all the way back there. Um, and um, I am really delighted to be here and join you in celebration of Miss Clifton. Um, I'm a native New Yorker. I know where Basin Park is. I run through that park. Um, and I just want to tell you, when I was reading her poetry, and this happens to me all the time, I feel like I'm in conversation with her. Like she knows me so well, because she knows my neck of the woods, as you call it. So trying to put this together tonight was sort of a, um, a big challenge. And I decided just to pick small pieces, and pieces that would relate very, very quickly um, to us since we got a lot of people and a lot of things to say. <coughs> salt. He is as salt to her. A strange, sweet, a particular money, precious and valuable only to her tribe. And she is salt to him. Something that rubs raw, that leaves a tearful taste, but what will he strain the ocean for and what he needs? New bones. We wear new bones again. We will leave those rainy days, break out through another mouth into sun and honey time. Worlds buzz over us like bees. We be splendid in new bones. Other people think they know, 
how long life is, how strong life is, we know. <coughs> Black women. America made us heroines, not wives. We learned the tricks to keep the race together, but had to leave our men to find themselves. And now they damn what they cannot forgive. Even a massive son lives in a dream, remembering the lie we made him love. America made us heroines, not wives. We hid in our laziness to save our own lives. Sound like something my grandmother would say. <laughs> How many of you saw Harriet, the movie? <clears throat> Harriet, if I be you, let me not forget to be the pistol pointed, to be the mad woman at the river's edge, warning. Be free or die. And Isabel, if I be you, let me, in my sojourning, not forget to ask my brothers, ain't I a woman too? And grandmother, if I be you, let me not forget, work hard, trust the gods, love my children, and wait. Oops. Call it our craziness, even call it anything. It is the life thing in us that will not let us die. Even in death's hands, we fold the fingers up and call them greens and grow on them. We hum them and make music. Call it our wilderness then. We are lost from the field of flowers. We become a field of flowers. Call it our craziness, our wildness. Call it our roots. It is the light in us. It is the light of us. It is the light. Call it whatever you have to. Call it anything. Now I do, um, as people here know, um, who know me, I do a lot of work in West Africa on Yoruba tradition. And I'm absolutely fascinated by the global reach of our own goddess traditions and the manifestations in other places. So this, uh, I've been doing some work on Kali, but this poem, touches and says it all. Mm -hmm. Queen of fatality, she determines the destiny of things. Nemesis, the permanent guest within ourselves, 
woman of warfare, of the chase, bitch of blood sacrifice and death, dread mother, the mystery ever present in us and outside us, the terrible Hindu woman god, Kali, who is black. And this to tribute to her family. On the birth of Bomani. <gasps> Can I say one thing real quickly? Yes. I'm sorry. She wrote that poem for my son. On the birth of Bomani. I got a copy of it for everybody in here. Because I was going to read it. And no, now, okay, that's it. I'm done. You can no, read it. No, no, no. <laughs> Because now they, they don't call it on the birth of Omani. They say the birth of children. And I'm here to say she wrote that in 
25. I live in Columbia, Maryland, and Lucille also lives in Columbia. And if anybody knows Columbia, it's a small town. Back then, it was a really small town. She lived in St. Mary's County as well as in Columbia. And um, I am not a degreed poet. I'm also odd. I like <laughs> Same. Thank you for that. I'm odd in so many ways. And um, I remember when I first met her, I had the privilege of being able to take her places. One of, I was one of the people that drove her around. Um, and we would talk. And one of the things that I remembered about her was that she was like my relative. Um, she was like a relative. She was kind. And she was real. And she was down to earth. And she kept encouraging me <coughs> to just be whatever odd me I was. <laughs> which, as you can see, I've continued to be in yes. the 60s. Also, because I was a non-degreed poet in a world where the, the literary world is a very competitive kind of arena. <laughs> and even though I had gone to college, I didn't quite speak the language of literati. But what I found, and, and, I, and I read a lot of Lucille's work, I've read a lot, a lot. But what I found, and what she told me was to not let all that static about what you were supposed to do as an artist, as a poet, not let that static stop me from being a poet. I had, I guess, what she did for me was that she gave me a kind of a boost in a way. I submitted some poems to something for the Howard County Poetry and Literary Society, and Lucille read them. And it was 1987, which was a really good year for me for poetry. There was a lot of trauma going on. Um, a lot of unpacking of baggage. So she got that amazing work in 1987, and she read it, and she said, and I remember her saying this to me. She said, you know, you're a good poet. And I went, oh, okay. Because previously I had not fit in any of the, of the compartments that... I thought I was supposed to be in. And, and I think, that, and I hear this a lot from people that know Lucille and have known Lucille, is, is that one of the things that she did for us young poets was she said she made a way for us to continue to do what we were doing. And also set an example for us to bring the young poets that were coming up behind us. And I remember her telling the story about being at St. Mary's and having someone question why she had the chair that she had. And I remember her telling me that story as a way to encourage me to just be, do, learn, read, write in my own little weird, unique style. As I was trying to choose the words in the poem, the poem for today, um, and actually, it's been a while since I've been thinking this. What will Lucille say? What will Lucille say about 2020 in America? Those of you who know me come here, and I, it's like I, I go for the ones that are, they go for my soul. And one of the things that I realized about Lucille is Lucille had, not only did she have the, the, the social justice eye, she had the environmental eye, 
She had the family eye. She had her eye on all of it, the historical eye. She's a poet's poet. And what she taught, and what I, what I, what I always loved was Lucille could talk about anything. Okay, and she didn't look down on you for, you know, like if you watch television or watch some weird show. She was good with it, you know? She was good with it. You know, it's not like I'm better than everybody else because I've got this book of all. It wasn't like that at all. But the thing that I most identified with her and her work was this, 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 this funny balance between the shadow Walking with the shadow, knowing the shadow, having an intimate relationship with the shadow on a daily, on the daily, and being this amazing, open-hearted, generous, smart, witty, funny, human, human. And what she taught was, what she taught me, because this is about our practice in humanity, poetry, <laughs> poetry requires an amazing kind of openness and consciousness to be in the world and do this work. This is why people were wound the building, because they wanted some of that. They wanted to be able to take that home. Now, I hope I can get through this poem. I chose it from... The book, The Terrible Stories. This to me is a metaphor of 2020 in America. What will Lucille say? The poem is called Shadows. <coughs> in the latter days, you will come to a place called Memphis. There you will wait for a while by the river Mississippi until you can feel the shadow of another Memphis and another river, Nile. Wake up, girl, you're dreaming. The sign may be water or fire, or it may be the black earth or the black blood under the earth, or it may be the syllables themselves coded to you from your southern skin. Wake up, girl, I swear you're dreaming. Memphis, capital of the old kingdom of ancient Egypt at the apex of the river across from the great pyramids, Nile. Born in the mountains of the moon. Wake up, girl, this don't connect. Wait there. In the shadow of your room, you may see another dusky woman, weakened by too much loss. She will be dreaming a small boat through centuries of water into the white new world. She will be weaving garments of neglect 
Wake up, girl. This don't mean nothing. Meaning is rhythm. Meaning is the river of voices. Meaning is the patience of the moon. Meaning is the thread running forever in shadow. Girl. Girl. Wake up. Somebody calling you. You can't run from it. 
and you can't hide. Like your skin, it will cling to you wherever you choose to go. While her poetry took many paths, every revered women, because in her day, women had a hardship that no man could possibly bear. She knew without question what it took to be an artist and a mother and a wife, that no one would allow you time for it if you didn't claim it. So she wrote her short poems, and wrote about the canvas that came to be her life. Some of her poetry was angry, and if you know anything about anger, you know once it's out of the cage, it's likely to wind up in so many places. <coughs> when you are that kind of angry, there is no mistaking the perpetrator. No one can squash the emotions, nor quiet the storm that is bound to break across the waters of your life. Lucille declared open warfare on those who committed wrongful deeds. She spoke of shameful acts performed on women who were being silenced, on black men who lost their footing, on children who had no say. Her bravery leaped from her pen like an angry warrior, slipping knives through flesh, because you have to understand, she wanted to be sure someone knew. Someone had to bear witness to all the wrongs of the world, whether it's done to the children, to the women, to the homeless, to the disenfranchised, to the sorrowful, to the mournful. Somebody had to speak for them. Why not you? Many young writers believe that what they have to say is not important enough. Who would want to know what they think? Her answer would be, when you tell your secrets, you may save someone's soul. When you put it out there, that stained sheet, that fat elephant, dark sheet that you might be, that hidden condition, that broken marriage, that unspeakable thing, someone, somebody, somewhere will find the same relief that you did once you find yourself free of it. Born with 12 fingers, she believed there was something spiritual about them. Her doctor chose to sever them so that she would be ordinary. Lucille learned early on that she was no ordinary woman. My extra fingers are cut away. I am left with plain hands and nothing to give me but points. Her losses were many. Between her health and all that was taken from her in the way of her children, her innocence and her personal freedoms, she knew unequivocally the strains of hardship and to not fear her dark side. How do you measure loss to become a spiritual and physical burden? How do you contemplate love and sex in your winter years when the man you love the most could no longer love you back? When she lost two of her six children, she learned that no matter how many awards she claimed, no matter how many times she crossed a, straight, a stage dressed to the nines to poet, she was marked by the loss of her children. Who could ever recover from such a thing? How will I forgive myself? for trying to bear the weight of this. Her mother died young in her 30s. A mother who still wrote, whose wild hair scratches my dreams at night. A mother who was also a writer, who destroyed her own work to manage someone else's expectations. The unthinkable act of seeing her mother's words destroyed in a fire confirmed Lucille's place in the literary canon. She charged an audience with her declarations, with her need to address injustices, for those who didn't have a way to speak those ugly truths. And yet with all of her literary riches, Lucille grew up poor. Some of us think we know what true hunger feels like. Some of us even faint. We think we know, but not until you have gone hungry for so long that water looks good when you know that kind of thirst. Not until you've experienced the good times of being able to pay the rent when most days you can barely get by. Not until the lights come back on. Not until you feel the pain of a family member choosing another direction in life, because that is the only way they could escape poverty of spirit. Not until you have gone from this to that, until you place your babies in their graves, not until you have longed for a righting of the wrong done your ancestors, 
Can you know pain or the thirst from what I speak? Lucille remembered. She claimed the only mercy is memory. It was within the walls of her memory that she performed her work. While she checked in education, she was a self-taught poet and didn't need a degree from an institution to tell her how to poet. Her trip to Howard University left her dispirited. She couldn't balance the privileged lives of her peers against her poverty. It is about being poor in America, the river that is between you and me. Lucille was a student of life. Shortly before she died, she received the Centennial Frost Medal for her literary lifetime achievements. In her life, she was more humble than you could ever know. Despite being able to strut like a peacock because of the numerous awards, she thought of herself as shy. You might wonder, no way could she be shy, the way she could talk about sex and things that would make your mother blush. <laughs> Three of the qualities that I treasured most about Lucille 
and realize more and more how deeply important they are for me to lift up as models of how I want to be are these. Her humility, her patience, her courageous truth-telling. Lucille never forgot that as a human being, she, like the rest of us, would never be perfect. Indeed, far from it. But she also never let go of her understanding that we always have before us the choice to continue to move toward the promise of what our better selves know it means to be a human being. Knowing from her own experience that there really is no such thing as a safe space, Lucille, the teacher, was committed to holding out the invitation of the question, what do we want to be to and for each other? How are we going to choose to live together? These ideas are also, I think, foundational to the consciousness of her poetry, just as they wove themselves throughout the way she lived her life. Many people who loved Lucille Clifton also offered her advice about her poetry. You need to be more black, Lucille, more angry. You need to be more of a feminist, Lucille. You need to be more of a survivor of abuse, a survivor of cancer. Her answer, of course, was clear and still rings with the sound of her own true voice. Won't you celebrate with me? It often surprises me how dark many of Lucille's poems are. In person, she was always so humble, so friendly, so controlled. But her poems unfailingly speak the truth. And the truth for Lucille, a black woman survivor, was dark. The experience, the experience of her poems, however, is not dark. John O'Donoghue explains this perfectly, I think, when he says, beauty is that which in the presence, and beauty is that in the presence of which we feel more alive. A homecoming for the enriched meaning of our unfolding lives. And that is why Lucille's poetry indeed is both absolutely truthful and always beautiful. I'm going to give an example, it's already been read, but I'll give a backstory and an example. In 1984, when Lucille was poet laureate of Maryland, and Maryland was about to celebrate its 350th anniversary of its founding, the governor's office called her and said, Lucille, we'd like you to write a poem in honor of the 350th anniversary. And Lucille, who did not like writing occasional poems, said, well, I'll think about it. Is there a theme? Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking, Lucille. Yes, the theme is our good old colonial days. <laughs> and the poem that Lucille wrote, the poem that Lucille wrote, I'll say it again. 
generous human being that she was did not ever give it to the state of Maryland. <laughs> Why some people be mad at me sometimes. They ask me to remember, but they want me to remember their memories, and I keep on remembering mine. I'd like to, I'd like to share with you, to close, a poetic form in Italian called Sento which is a gathering of different lines and phrases from a number of poems. These are all lines and phrases from Lucille's poem that I hope captures for you, as it does for me, some of, some of the sense and power and importance and value of Lucille's work. It is hard to remain human in the jungle of traffic in a world gone awry. There is trouble coming, round and round and round. The moon, the moon understands. She holds what light she can, while the eyes of children stare at us, amazed to see the extraordinary evil in ordinary men. But what did I expect? What did I hope for? We are who we are. Who can know what is intended? Who can understand the gods? Some of us know we have never felt safe. You don't know the half of it, like the old folks used to say. But the half of it is what I do know. What I don't know is the other. Today, we are possible. What, will, what we will become waits in us like an ache. I bear witness to nothing more human than hate. I bear witness to no thing more human than love. Apples and honey, apples and honey, what is not lost is poets trusting the blind road home. What is not lost is our one precious say it too and I'm excited to meet her and hear her Jacia Gavin. I count this as an honor and a joy.
I have to just give a quick anecdote. Mama Lucille gave me my best manager ever in life. Now, I go into every interview telling the person I'm trying to work for what days I need off before I even get to day <laughs> So I go into an interview and I'm telling the days I need off, which, you know, for me, I'm like, I need those days that will be the deal breaker or the, or the deal maker for me. And I said, well, the reason why I need it, I give a reason. And I said, there's, a, there's an exhibit that's going to be going on for Lucille Clifton. It's going to be here at the library here and then also down at the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, if you're familiar with those museums. Because the gentleman uh, was like, Lucille Clifton? I said, yeah, did you know who she was? She was a wonderful poet. He said, um, not only did I know who she was, I was at St. Mary's, and I drove her around. <laughs> and his name is Nick Green for anybody who remembers him. But he had to go and take care of some other things down in Annapolis, and I said, he said, do you think I should come up? I said, Mama Lucille would want you to be there to give space to hold space. So I wanted you know, you all to know that he is there in spirit and in truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I wanted to read a poem, and this is for every woman who's been told that she has too much of this, <laughs> not enough of that, needs to be quiet, needs to fold her space in a little bit more. But I want to point a personal privilege. There's a woman who we've seen tonight, but I want us to see her center stage right here. She's been signing these poems all night long. And because they're Miss Lucille's words, but I want you to see how she interprets this language. I'm gonna go up slowly, but I might have to catch up with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Homage to my hips. Are big hips. They need space to move around it. They don't fit into little petty places. These hips are free hips. They don't like to be held back. These hips have never been enslaved. They go where they want to go. They do what they want to do. These hips are mighty hips. These hips are magic hips. I have known them to put a spell on a man and spin him like a top. <laughs> Clifton, and know many of you, yeah. and that woman is my mother. Woo! 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 
I'll just see my daughter's a mess. I'm Joanne Gavin. I bring you greetings from the Curious Flower Poetry Center. And I am so delighted to be here to celebrate my friend. I want to also say I'm in the family, my beautiful sisters and my brother, because Lucille made me feel like a sister to her. And in fact, Sonia Sanchez and I, um, towards the end of Lucille's life, and we didn't know it was going to be the end, but we kept trying to get together so that we could go to Atlantic City. <laughs> because Lucille had a real hot hand with the slot machine. So Lucille, I hope you're winning wherever you are. <laughs> I want you to know that Lucille Clifton wanted to be a part of the first Furious Flower Conference, but that was a time when she was stricken with breast cancer, and she couldn't come. But 10 years later, she came to the second conference, 2004, and at that time, we were able to give her the Lifetime Achievement Award from Furious Flower, and I will always remember her humility in accepting it, but how she rocked the place when she did that signature poem, Won't You Celebrate With Me. Let me see the hands of those people who were at the 2004 Furious Flower Conference. Okay, I just see two out there. All right. Well, the next time she came to Furious Flower was when we celebrated her as a part of the Legacy Seminar. We do something at Furious Flower where we honor our poets while they can understand how they are revered. So in June 2009, we had a seminar called Tell Me Your Names, the poetry of Lucille Clifton. Yes. Who was there? Was anybody there but you know about it? I know, I know, I know, and I know the point. All right, tell me, tell me your names. And in fact, it was Carolyn Mitlam who picked her up at that particular seminar and took her down to Bedford. Virginia, so she could do some research on her family. And I know that the family uh, will, will tell you about that, how she had to find out about this great-great-grandmother who was there in Bedford, and how she became the first black woman to be hanged in that community. She wanted to find out what happened to the records. So that was the last time I got to see her. I talked to her after that point, but as you know, she passed away in 2010. I 
Nikki Giovanni, who is such a good friend of mine, I, when I heard the news, and I said, Nikki, Lucille has passed. And Nikki knew how close she was to me, but at the time she said to me, Joanne, uh, what can I say? I know you heard it. But um, whenever you plan something, let me be a part of it. And then she, she hung up, and I hung up. The next day she called me with an apology. And she said, Joanne, I just didn't know what to say. She said, whatever you are planning, I want to be a part of it. So out of that understanding of the sisterhood, we developed the program, 73 Poems for 73 Years. And I'll tell you, Lex and Jillian, to me, that is still the best program we yes. have ever given yes. at yes. Furious Love. 73 poems for 73 years. Do you know we had 73 people come up here to the podium like we're doing, like introducing each other, and we got that program done in 90 minutes. Wow. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. If you want a tape of that, you can get it from Furious Love. <laughs> and finally, her memory was so, so pronounced that as my daughter said, we had to do exhibits on Lucille Clifton. And one was done right here at Enoch Pratt Free Library. And it was called, Won't You Celebrate With Me? The Life and Legacy of Lucille Clifton. And it was phenomenal. And at the same time, we did a companion exhibit at the Reginald F. Lewis Museum. You know, when you really understand Lucille, she stays with you. She stays with you in a very special way. I want to share with you what my idea of heaven is. And I don't usually do this because they might look at me like I'm a kook. <laughs> but I don't believe in the heaven that we talk about in African um, folklore and, and in the Bible. I don't believe in that kind of heaven. I believe in another kind of heaven. It's a kind of heaven where every time someone remembers you. Every time someone raises your name in gratitude and praise, every time you recall a wonderful thing the person said or did, you are populating that space that I call heaven. And if there's anyone who has populated a space like I imagine, it's Lucille Clifton. In life, she was like an oracle. I remember the teachers going to her at the seminar and sitting at her feet and just leaning on every word that she said. Because she would make you feel like what came out of her mouth was just truth. 
most of you are sitting there thinking, I'm not going to do, won't you celebrate But I, with me? Because everybody wants to do that poem. You've already had the best presentation of that. But I know if you're like me, you just want to hear those last lines yes. one more time. Yes. And you want to affirm that those people out there who are in pain, those people who have been through something, those people who are resisting, mm -hmm. those people who know what it means to overcome trials, mm -hmm. will want to say, and we all know the last lines, won't you celebrate with me that every day, come on, has tried to kill me and has failed. And we have to have now the resilience and resistance because we are in dangerous times, people. Won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. I want to read my poem that puts me in another space. A space at St. Mary's, that space that Lucille populated for herself. May the time that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind, then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever. And may you, in your innocence, sail through this to that. multi-generational narrative 
about women from enslavement to like late 80s, early 90s, and the lucky stone that passed their hands. When I tell you that that book was in my top two and it wasn't number two, I was highlighting it, I memorized it, I was performing it to friends. <laughs> Lucille Clifton wrote that book. Changed my little life, right? So I started writing poems, and I kept writing poems, and I got into uh, performance poetry in undergrad, slam, so I was all over, I was in North Alabama, so I was all over Birmingham and Atlanta and Mobile and made some friends at Fisk University in Nashville. During the time when uh, Nikki Giovanni was teaching a poetry class there, and I got a call from my friend Connie, she's like, girl, Nikki Finney's going to do a workshop, and I'm like, whoa. Sign me up. <laughs> so I got in my little red car. I went up 65. And Nikki Finney um, introduced us to Lucille Clifton. And this was not long after she passed. And you could tell that Nikki Finney was in mourning. And you could tell that Nikki Finney loved Lucille Clifton. And in her grief, she had decided that she was going to give Lucille Clifton to as many people as she could. And so I got Lucille Clifton for a second time. Two things happened in that workshop for me. The first thing is that I decided I'm a poet. Yes. I just run with it. I sat in my car afterwards like, oh, I don't care what else I was doing. I'm poeting now. That's the thing. My life took a turn at that point. The second thing that's really important is Lucille Clifton Collective was born. A group of women in that workshop decided we're going to get together on this same Saturday every month in this same room, and we are going to read and write and study and give each other workshops and exercises, but really we're going to woman together in the name of Lucille Clifton. Lucille Clifton Collective went on for about three, four years, changed its name once it got new members, but there's a poem that we sat around with just in awe. Um, Eve's version. Smooth talker slides into my dreams and fills them with apple. Apple snuggles my breast in the palm of my hand. Apple sleek, apple sweet, and bright in my mouth. It is your own lush self you hunger for, he whispers. Lucifer, honey time. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? We lost ourselves. It was amazing. And so uh, I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm going to poet. I decide, you know what, I really like education. I'm going to try this MFA thing out. And uh, in the meantime, though, I'm like, I want to publish something. I want to put some work out. So I have this poem called The Flute, long as a page, maybe a little more. And after the workshop, I realized, you know, Lucille Clifton is able to tell the whole story with just the right amount of words. And she left enough white space for you to just insert yourself. And it's, it's so relatable, it's so perfect, it's, it's enough. And so I was like, I'm gonna try to be enough. The poem got published. Very excited. First publication. It's in uh, Huntsville, where I'm from. So, of course, LCC shows up, which is Lucille Clifton Collective, as we called ourselves. <laughs> and uh, when I go up to read the poem, Rockets in the, oh, yeah, Lucille Clifton Collective represent. Right? I, I uh, read the poem, and afterwards, it's the same thing, another ruckus. And in the parking lot, we are patting ourselves on the back and getting each other ready to go our separate ways. 
ways, and uh, a woman comes up to us and uh, introduces herself. She says, uh, I am uh, Lucy Clifton's daughter, and I am so happy to see you joining together in my mother's name. Oh, you could have just said this over with the feather. Whoa, this is too much. She goes, I, I remember receiving the email address, but I'm pretty sure my friend Connor was doing all the talking. Uh, and uh, I lost the email address, but I think would have it. They're in the room. <laughs> it worked out fine. Um, after that, I decided to try to pick a poetry program, and uh, I heard about the University of Baltimore's program and how they're just not, at that time, not just you know, reading people, but also kind of giving you an idea of how things work. And I was talking to the department chair, Richard Propelke, on my visit, and she started talking about Lucille's relationship with the program, but also Passenger Press, and how without Lucille's influence and work, Passenger Press could not be anything like it is today. And I was like, oh, well, in that case, this is what I'm going to be. Right? <laughs> When I walked into the first day of the poetry workshop, I um, got, got, got blessed in the bones, which is why many of us have this book. Well, many of us in the TV have this book. And it opened me up. It opened me up. And uh, I just kept reading collections. And every time I got a collection, Miss Clifton knew where I was in womanhood. She knew where I was in the changing and transformation and the movement of black women in space and time and self-definition. And so by the time I got to write my thesis, it was, it was uh, me finding myself in my voice, but could not have been without her. So, um, I'm going to give you another poem that's been read tonight, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with the reviews. This book uh, was really, I'm sorry, this, this poem was really what shaped my own collection of work of self-definition as a writer. Why some people be mad at me sometimes? Free me. It's still ready. They ask me to remember, but they want me to remember their memories, and I keep remembering mine. And finally, uh, I now teach at the uh, Naval Academy. And I got an opportunity to uh, work with a group of midshipmen, and uh, they gave me the rhetoric to class, which is poems and novels, so you know what I brought. You need to have some in your life. And they were also amazed at her ability to say so much. But respect the reader to really understand and connect and feel themselves on the page. So, um, of course, uh, I haven't read so many, but this is a poem that I shared with them as the class ended that I actually screenshotted and put on my phone as a memory and blessing to myself. We've heard it once before, but I wanted to do it together as a back and forth. It's blessing the bows. Do you mind if we, if I read the line, you say the line. I read the line, you say the line. Is that all right? Can we do that? Yeah. Fantastic. Blessing the bows. Blessing the bows. Yes. Yes. Blessing the bows. Yes. 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 Do it one more time, everybody. Right blessing the bows. Blessing the bows. I'm excited. May the tide. May the tide. That is entering even now. 
understanding. Deliver of our understanding. Carry you out. Carry you out. Beyond the face of fear. Beyond the face of fear. May you kiss. May you kiss. The wind then turn from it. The wind then turn from it. Certain that it will. Certain that it will. Love your back. Love your back. May you. May you. Open your eyes to water. Open your eyes to water. Water waving forever. Water waving forever. And may you in your innocence. And may you in your innocence. Sail through this I just want to affirm that there are so many black women poets my age who love Lucille Clifton. You can hit a rock in a room of us and you will hit a lover of Lucille Clifton. There's not a place I go poets my age where you can't hit Lucille Clifton. So I'm like, yes! <laughs> so know that we are here and we love her. We love her and she has changed our lives. Thank you so much for the
which a lot of um, her work, something else she does that is subversive and also just regular. Mm -hmm. Is that sometimes there's just no title. Yeah. Sometimes the poem is the title, yeah. <laughs> or the the quote is the title. Yeah. Um, so this one is starts with from a letter written to Dr. W. E. Du Bois by Alvin Burnquist of Clark University in Massachusetts, and dated April 3rd, 1905. And the quote says, "We are pursuing an investigation here on the subject of crime as an expression of the emotions." and should like very much to learn about its peculiarities among the colored people. We have been referred to you as a person competent to give us information on the subject. We desire especially to know about the following salient aspects. One, whether the Negro sheds tears. Lucia, reply. He do, she do, they live, they love, they try, they tire, they flee, they fight, they bleed, they break, they moan, they mourn, they weep, they die, they do, they do, they do. This one is called Auction Street yeah. for Angela McDonald. Consider the, the drum. Consider Auction Street and the beat throbbing up through our shoes, through the trolley, so that it rides as if propelled by hundreds, by thousands of fathers and mothers, led in a coffin to the block. Consider the block, top side smooth as skin, almost translucent like a drum that has been beaten for the last time and waits now to be honored for the music it has had to bear. Then consider Brother Moses, who heard from the mountaintop, take off your shoes, the ground you walk on is holy. And this last one is called Consulting the Book of Changes, Radiation. Each morning, you will cup your breast in your hand, then cover it and ride into the federal city. If there are no cherry blossoms, can there be a cherry tree? You will arrive at the house of lightning. Even the children there will glow in the arms of their kin. Where is the light in one leaf falling? You will wait to hear your name. Wish you were a child with kin. With some of the men you loved, had wished some of the men you loved had loved you. What is the splendor of one breast on one woman? You will rise to the machine. If someone should touch you now, his hand will flower. After, you will stop to feed yourself. You have always had to feed yourself. Will I begin to cry? If you do, you will cry forever. Well, I haven't had the honor of knowing Miss Clifton in life. I have had the distinct honor of being able and being welcomed into the home of the Clifton House by 
both Alexia and Sydney at different times. And now I have the distinct honor of introducing and welcoming Sydney Clifton to the stage. Some wonderful, but I know that the things that made us are more than that. 
Our lives are more than the days in them. Our lives are our line, and we go on. I type that, and I swear I can see Caroline standing in the green of Virginia, in the green of Africa, and I swear she makes no sounds, but she nods her head and smiles. The generations of Caroline Donald, born in Africa in 1823, and Sam Lewis Sale, born in America in 1777, are Lucille, who had a son named Jeannie, who had a son named Samuel, who married Thelma Moore, and the blood became magic in their daughter is Thelma Lucille, who married Fred Clifton, and the blood became whole, and their children are Sidney, Frederica, Gillian, Alexia, four daughters, and Channing Graham, two sons, and the line goes on. Don't you worry, mister, don't you worry.
love of a mother's work. Thank you for always saying that. You know, she's not being forgotten. We know we, we won't, but it's, it's wonderful to hear that other people still remember her and still feel, still feel her and understand her. And she knows. She knows. It's very clear she knows. All right, so um, the next person, oh, we're, we're in open mic section now. Um, there's names to be called. <laughs> Myself 
As a black woman, I'm I am compelled to speculate about so much, about my worth, my value, which is all I did when I wrote for a living in a snowy place filled with cold faces. So I came back home, and sometimes I feel ashamed, like I didn't make the most of all the memo that gave me. I feel that way until I write, and so I write, and I live to and towards and for my mother, who loves me and taught me what it means to create. stages 
and we saw the beautiful pictures by Andrew Falcone. And, you know, she hasn't accepted it yet. She still says, I want father back. She's a little girl, but I am so grateful. And I say to the family, I am so grateful for your family member who wrote that book. She has empowered my little six-year-old niece. And the writing about why people be mad with me sometimes, she's given me the courage. So although it has been 10 years, her legacy will live on in us. Thank you. Taught me how to be free in their writing. 
And um, the poem, the first poem that came to my head when I heard there was an open mic um, was the first poem that I really felt like I was able to be free and free from a lot of things that I um, was holding on to. Tell us your name, Mecca. Oh, I'm Mecca. <laughs> <laughs> my little sister is beautiful. She has our father's eyes, brown. Her mother's skin, light, blinding. So blinding, sometimes I can't even see her as my little sister, just competition. She looks like the women my dad left mom for. She looks like the girls all the world prefers. She looked like the revised version of me. And I looked like a confused scribble, a black mass in comparison. But I'm her big sister, so I protect her from myself. I keep the darkness at bay, even when it's in my eyes, my hair, my skin, and it's all around me, and darkness is all around me, and colorism is all around me. She don't even know what that is. I didn't even know what it was. But our bodies did. My skin always crawling away from the sight of her light, but I protect her from myself. Even when the world teach her to hate me, and her mom teach her to hate me, I love her with my eyes open, even when it hurts, even though she's so blinding and so beautiful. Thank you. is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.